Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 300 of the podcast. It's February 15th, 2018. My guests today are Tracy and Ernie Richardson, authors of an excellent book titled The Toyota Engagement Equation, How to Understand and Implement Continuous Improvement Thinking in Any Organization. Now, I really enjoyed the book. It's full of solid insights and personal experiences from their time working for Toyota in Georgetown, Kentucky. In the podcast today, we talk about their experiences at Toyota, including lessons they've learned about problem-solving, people development, and what they call DNA, or D&A, Discipline and Accountability. So I hope you enjoyed the discussion, even if you work in healthcare or another realm outside of manufacturing. Uh, Ernie did some work within health clinics at Toyota and some other healthcare organizations. So we touched on that a bit, and uh, there, there are definitely lessons learned here. It's really it's about leadership. It's about people and that really applies everywhere. So if you would like to find links uh, to Finding Tracy and Ernie on social media, their book's website, uh, more information like that, you can go to leanblog.org slash 300. Tracy and Ernie, thank you for uh, joining us to talk about your book today. I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks for having us, Mark. We look forward to it. Yeah, Mark, this is great. We enjoy doing uh, the podcast and uh, sharing our wisdom. You have a lot of wisdom in the book and and a lot of stories, and I encourage everyone to check that out. And we'll touch on a couple topics today and hopefully uh, pique everybody's interest. Um, Tracy, if you can start off, there are a lot of personal stories in the book, which I really enjoyed. It really connects the lessons to um, some really engaging stories. But um, can you give kind of the brief intro? You know, there's a lot of your career story uh, in the book. Can you introduce some of your background uh, and, and what you're doing now post-Toyota? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as most know, uh, we start at, at TMMK in 1988 when we were kind of rolling uh, the, the startup phase going there and being part of kind of building things around us. It was before we were even making sellable vehicles. And so had the blessed opportunity to work with trainers. I started as a team member. So I was on the line and IP trim and uh, realized very quickly that, you know, there was an internal training system, you know, with Toyota Institute and University of Toyota and then our own training center that worked closely uh, with TMC. Toyota Motor Corp. So I just, uh, you know, kind of put myself uh, out there to say this is this is going to be a neat path. And so I went uh, through pre-promotion training, moved up from team leader, spent a few years as team leader, line supervisor hourly, and went back to school for leadership classes for moving on to salary management. So I spent 10 years from hourly, hourly position to salary in the plastics department, moving around in various areas from instrument panel to, to bumper injection molding to headliner bumper cores, a lot of, a lot of various parts there in plastics and uh, was there until 1998. So I did 10 years in production and uh, Ernie and I made a decision. Uh, I wanted to go into HR, but that's not always easy when you're married to an HR manager. So uh, 
we made a, a family decision and I actually left my position as a full-time employee at, at Toyota Motor Manufacturing Kentucky. And I kind of went in the back door and came back as a contractor, consultant, vendor, trainer, whatever word uh, you want to use. And I became a trainer for Toyota uh, across North America and the different plants. So went kind of sharing my wisdom, giving back to the plant that they had invested in me. And then a few years into that, I started to get a pull uh, externally and uh, joined LEI and worked for some colleges, worked with Ohio State in their MBOE program. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of conferences, uh, Lean Frontiers and, and different things. So uh, the, the pool of external uh, took over and, you know, uh, today we do uh, mostly uh, private clients and uh, go to the go to their gimba and we do some conferences speaking and, and other things like podcast and, and do a lot of things online obviously but um, yeah it's been 30 years from working on the line as a, a team member to a consultant out there sharing my wisdom of that collective 30 years and it's been a, a really neat journey. We've, we've really been blessed to, to be a part of that, that phase at Toyota. And Ernie, you know, if you can kind of weave in a little bit of your background and you know, your, your story and Tracy's stories intertwine here in different ways, but what you can tell us about your background and, and you stayed longer at Toyota. If you can tell yeah, us about actually, that. Uh, you know, uh, I spent my 25 year career at Toyota Worked at IBM before I went to Toyota. Interesting about the problem-solving aspect of the two different companies. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in the book. I uh, spent the first half of my career in powertrain uh, as, as a startup, as a team leader, which is an hourly position. Uh, worked my way up through the management and powertrain and then moved over to human resources about halfway through my career. And, uh, and then was able to, you know, we always hear people talk about, uh, well, that lean thing works in building cars, but non-production does it work in. And uh, so I got to spend the last half of my career actually working in uh, different fields in HR. And it does work everywhere, whether you're building cars or, or building safety systems or building medical uh, clinics or, or medical processes. And so the last uh, few years of my career at Toyota, uh, after in a 25-year career, I actually was uh, operations medical director for Toyota North American Wide. So we were responsible for clinic operations all across uh, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. And so I got to see firsthand how we can take the philosophies and, and uh, the, the tools and the culture that we were taught in manufacturing years ago and actually start rolling that into healthcare, uh, insurance companies, uh, clinic operations, and those kinds of things. So it was, it was pretty, pretty uh, good. And in that area, also, we worked on, you know, I worked in safety at our plant in Kentucky. Also, uh, disability management, how we, uh, how we process that, which is, as, as a lot of people know, those processes need, need some help. Yeah. Well, and, and we'll come back to the end uh, of the podcast and, and talk about healthcare. I know there's a lot of people listening who are either uh, working in healthcare, you know, because they came from manufacturing and they've always been there as, uh, as, as they always say, patients are not cars. And well, yeah, of, of course not. But the, uh, these methods um, work in, in, in different places. We, we could maybe someday we can do a whole podcast about. 
we could probably talk an hour about your experience in the clinics, right? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, I won't, I won't, I'm not trying to put you on the hook for that. We'll, we'll oh, but we, he, he would love to share that because there was a lot of, a lot of good things internally uh, with Toyota and some of the things they created that, that is a story of its own and, and being part of the, the uh, probably the first processes that, that did that is, is kind of neat as well. Yeah. So, you know, one question I always love to ask authors is, you know, what was the, the spark, the motivation behind the book? Um, you know, there's already a lot of books out there, uh, you know, about Toyota, the Toyota production system and lean. So I'm curious, what, what was the genesis of, of you guys doing the book together? Yeah, so the book actually, the idea actually started about 10 years ago. I think it was 07, so we're right on that 10-year mark when I started putting the chapters together. And it the, the beginning of it was similar to what it is now, but a, a little more about me and kind of the biography type. And I kind of altered that to mesh in the beginning of Toyota. So I knew there was a story there to be written. Ten years ago, I wasn't maybe um, ready to tell it or understood the context of it. But, you know, from we've been told a lot since the book's been out that, hey, you know, there hasn't been from an inside perspective Mm -hmm. of somebody growing from, you know, this this floor level up through management to, you know, training, consulting, et cetera. You know, from what it was like, you know, the 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 day to day, the doing, the living, the breathing of that culture that we get so many questions about, you know, how how was it? And I really thought and then, you know, as Ernie was uh, finishing his time, you know, we were like with his stories and my stories. And even though there are some some parallels there, there's also some differences And to bring somebody, we wanted to take somebody on a journey with us in how we learned, you know, everybody's on, you know, today it's, it's kind of called lean and we can talk about that in in a little bit, but how, how did we become who we are? You know, what was that journey and what was it like to be at Toyota? And so we wanted the journey to allow somebody to walk with us. And there's a lot of great books out there and, and we've, we've read a lot and, and know a lot of the authors that have written them, but we wanted to come in from an angle of here's what it was like for us actually working there and the failures, the successes, the trials and tribulations, the, the sometimes I don't understand why we're doing this question you know, really take you with us. And, you know, from the feedback that we have been getting, um, it's it's coming across as we hope that it, it's a, a journey with us and what it was like to be there. And from many people's perspectives, you know, we didn't start off any different than most people do. We knew nothing. And, you know, we had this blank canvas that, you know, they kind of took us and, and molded us in many ways. And so the book resides in, in the living and breathing of the culture mm-hmm. and how we learn from a firsthand perspective. Yeah. yeah and it's a unique perspective. Um, I, I don't know any other books out there that were co-authored by somebody. You, you added value directly to the vehicles. You pulled the Andon cord, I, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, it's a, that's a very very real perspective, right? 
Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, I guess the uniqueness part for us, uh, Mark, and is that the, the really when we were being uh, developed on the culture side, you know, we didn't know anything different. And, and, you know, the coin of lean came out at some point in time and we all were internally were wondering, wonder what this lean thing they're talking about is. And the reality of it is it was the culture that was continually built and got to experience it all the way from, you know, some of the stories in the book of where it's okay to stop the line and it's okay to have problems. It's okay to have uh, problem solving. It's okay to take time to do those things but we don't want to continue repeating them. So we got to develop standards and, and to be able to see that in place. And as you know, when we talk about standards, uh, the accountability, discipline, accountability of the standards is, is uh, really hard for companies to, to live up to. And at Toyota, that was just our norm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know, you know, from the book, you know, Tracy, you were um, going to college when you started, um, working at Toyota and, and, and Ernie, you had that experience at IBM. And this is more of a general question. Is it, is it harder to embrace and, and understand, you know, some of these concepts when, when that you've got habits from uh, a more traditional non-Toyota, like non-lean organization, as opposed to uh, being, being more of a blank canvas at the start of a career? Well, I, I think it is harder if you if you already have, you know, habits in place. However, I think the the main ingredient and I think the thing that Toyota kept teaching us was being open to change mm-hmm. and constantly looking. Well, let's learn from your habits or, or your processes in the in, in previous to coming and what can we take from that, but here's what we're trying to build. And here's here's the vision we're trying to go to. So I think it's absolutely hard, but I don't I don't think it's impossible. I think I honestly don't know it's any different when we started than a lot of companies. The difference was, is I guess we don't really use the excuse of, well, we don't have time to do it or we don't we don't uh, we don't know exactly what to do is that we were learning as we were going. So I, I do believe it's uh it's a problem, but it also can be the foundation for where you start. So in, in that process, I mean, what, what did they do at Toyota or what did you do as leaders, you know, to encourage people to be open to change um, and to, to embrace that sort of mindset? Well, uh, the, the, and I didn't realize this uh, when I first went in there uh, for the first couple of years, but uh, every single person there had a development plan. And, and that development plan was tailored to what was viewed as the strengths and weaknesses of the person and develop with the person. And so every single person that worked that I had the opportunity to serve while I was there, uh, you know, had different needs. And so we didn't we didn't necessarily just make one size fits all. It was looking at every individual and and understanding what do I need to do to continue to develop them into being a, you know, we always talk about we're developing them to be the leaders someday. We're developing them to be the presidents, the general managers, the vice presidents. What do we need to do to be able to do that? And one of my trainers, uh, my main trainer that I talk about in the book, actually, you know, he would ask me every single day um, at, when, I, as, when I got to be a leader, 
who did you develop today? Hmm. And, and, you know, when I first started hearing that, I was thinking, man, he's kind of being hard on me, you know, but then he was, he was really reinforcing that culture. And then before we would end, cause he would make me do this every single day. And before we would end, he would come back to me and say, now, what did you learn today? And so he's always trying to understand my development for how do I, how do I include the team? How do I develop people? And by the same time that he's, uh, you know, training and development me to do the other, uh, do that with the other folks that we served. And Mark, I think when you go back to our hiring process that, you know, Ernie and I both went through and which was about a year and a half process because they were building the plan and we all didn't have anywhere to go early on. So it was kind of drawn out, but there was competencies that I learned later that they were looking for in people. And so when you were tested, you were, they were looking for listening. They were looking for personal, personal initiatives, leadership skills, problem solving skills, your ability to work with people. And so those competencies were underlying. So, you know, when I began, you know, David Meyer was, was my first group leader. He's the co-author of uh, Toyota field book, Toyota way field book and Toyota talent with Richard Liker. And uh, so you know, I was honestly an introverted person uh, as a, uh, if you look at Myers-Briggs personality type testing, which we all had to go through as leaders in the early days at Toyota. You know, I was an introverted person, but I must have tested at a certain level for leadership. And so David worked with me on speaking in front of, you know, other people, our group, and then expanded that. And there's a picture in the book. And, you know, when I look at it, I see the terror in my eyes because of my nerves that were happening at that moment. But, you know, I did a presentation, a quality circle. Uh, it was an outcome from a quality circle uh, that we did in, in the group. And, and so that particular day, Shirichiro Toyota, Mr. Toyota came by and we had to do a presentation. And so, you know, part of Toyota's development piece that Ernie's talking about, you know, the IDPs was, you know, David asked me, do you want to do part of the presentation? You know, and that made me nervous. But the next level was you're going to have to use a microphone, you know, and that just, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be projected all over the plastic shop. It really terrified me. But, you know, he took a moment. And said, you know, at any given time, if you feel so nervous that you don't think you can do it, just transition it to me and I will take over. And that's all I needed. You know, I just needed sometimes you just need like that fight or flight you need and out. And it was those little things like that, that the trainers were developing David in. David was developing me as well as our other leaders. And, you know, that moment that was captured, that's very priceless to me and why it's in the book was such a developmental uh, kind of just path that took me off as a confidence builder to do more and more. And I think Toyota really just invests in people that way. It's we've always said that, you know, they they happen to, you know, make cars, but developing people is the first and foremost. You know, cars are the outcome of a good people process. And there's so many little stories like that that both of us were a part of that, you know, we just embraced that, you know, it really created who we were today, who we are today. So, you know, along that line of, of developing people, 
having a plan, tailoring it um, to individuals. Um, it, does, does that seem to be an aspect of um, you know, the, the Toyota expression, respect for people, respect for humanity? I mean, what, what, what else does that phrase respect for people uh, mean, mean to you from your experience there? Well, I, th- I think it definitely starts with the individual development, uh, but I also think it talks about uh, the leadership styles within Toyota, the ability to, uh, as Mr. Mr. Cho uh, says several times, and, and, you know, when you go to the Gimba, you got to show respect to the people. That means you've got to try to understand what he's trying to say there is you got to try to understand the the opportunities and problems they're going through. And not just look for an outcome that you want. And so, it, it, you know, go see, ask, why, and show respect was his quote. And it was, you know, I've got to understand what, what the issues are going through. And, and that's not uncommon at Toyota. It's, it's fairly common that, uh, you know, a supervisor may very well go down and, and just uh, go on the line to understand what the problem is the team member's facing. Uh, you know, I've seen several presidents do that before, actually, uh, where they would see abnormality happen and say, well, train me on it. I want to be able to see it. And so I think it's always uh, the ability to be able to make the connection with employee and understanding in true servant leadership, you know, they are the most important people that we have. And so how are we as leaders have got to continue to be able to support to make their job easier and more effective. And, and being able to connect that to, you know, their goals and objectives that we that they're trying to get individually. Yeah, when you look at the the green book, I think people call it, but the green Toyota Way mm-hmm. book that's 2001, you know, it has the five values, but it comes from two pillars. And one pillar is continuous improvement and one is the respect for people. And like you said, I think the, the respect for people side is truly People are first. The, the product is the outcome of that. And, you know, the, the five values that, that stem from that, you know, is in the Japanese word, they use Genshi Kenbutsu, which is the, the get your boots on. But the go see was one of the, the values in the, the green book, the, the teamwork part. So these these stem off the continuous improvement and respect for people. And then challenge, which goes to the the IDP, the individual aspect, and and then respect for people uh, comes up as one of the five. And then you know continuous improvement. So to me, in the in the in the Toyota Way 2001, it's trying to bring tangible actions for leadership to say, you know, you can go see, you can challenge yourself. We had to respect people through Mr. Cho's thinking and vision of the, the, the go see, ask why and show respect and then challenge ourselves, challenge the company, challenge um, others. And then all that creates this, this learning environment of, of CI. So the values were more than just writing on a, on a wall or in a book, they were lived, they were practiced. And, and that's what created the cultural, the climate, the feeling, the atmosphere that, it's very hard to describe to people sometimes what it was like because none of us really internally in the early days, there was no reason to call it anything, honestly, because it was the only acronym we knew, and I make a, a joke about it, but it was really reality for us, is J-O-B. 
You know, this is our job. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is what we represent. It's a way to do business. And we didn't need the acronym. And I think that just came later as others tried to describe something that, you know, was was being written down by then in, in a lot of books and, and other things. You know, it, it's it's very dynamic to be inside that that breathing culture that starts with that toilet away, I believe. Yeah. And, and so was J-O-B used as, as an acronym? No, or, not no. really. It, <laughs> it, it, that's my way of saying it was that simple because <laughs> we, it was our job. It was an expectation. It wasn't a choice. Mm-hmm. And the expectation goes to, you know, part of our, our formula that we talk about is, is DNA. You know, there, there's a macro level DNA with, you know, every human. If you look up DNA, you know, you get this, you know, definition that might be something of what's the, the fundamentals and characteristics that make up, you know, humans. But there's that DNA level in a company, so it's cultural DNA. But then you have this micro level DNA, which Ernie and I dubbed as this, you know, kind of discipline and accountability. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that kind of Toyota is not a perfect company, I always tell folks there not, nothing's perfect. There is no perfect, you know, setting where there isn't problems. You know, the Japanese trainers would get scared if there wasn't problems every day. You know, we want to understand how to to get to an ideal state at all times. But this the discipline and accountability, I believe, is the difference in how they are were successful and are successful today is that that seed in there that is is strong you know within all members all leadership horizontally and vertically across the organization i believe yeah so when you talk about the d and a as as you you write about in the book discipline and accountability um how how do you i mean those are words everybody knows but how how do you define those words right How, how were those words generally understood at toyota so i'll i'll start then and tracy can add in some points, but let's go back to uh, standards. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the discipline would be that, that we would not operate our processes without standards. And the accountability is, is that we have to follow through on the standard. That's the reason we have the standard until the next best idea. So the, the, the concept is the discipline is making sure that we have a, a, a way to work and and then the expectation of that is the way we work. And, and you know, people think that's uh, or, or when we talk about that, people think that's very, very rigid. The reality of it is within Toyota is it's just the way we do business. It's our way of life. It's our expectation. And it gives us the foundation to be able to make Kaizen or improvement. Uh, and so when we go to other companies, that's the biggest challenge we have most of the time is, you know, we start out with problem solving and we'll talk about, well, what's your standard? And they go, well, we don't have one. Hmm. And then you get into, well, you know, we have standards, but we don't pay no attention to them. And so that's the discipline apart from a company perspective. And, and I think, Mark, the, the concept of, you know, when we get, companies are asking us all the time of, well, what do we need to do first? 
And, and so what we always talk about, well, have the discipline to use standards and then the accountability to make the standard work. And therefore, you can give you the foundational part of being able to now make improvements and, and, and improve as an organization. Yeah, I think to, to add to that is, you know, the, the discipline to set the work standards, one thing, the accountability, you know, when, when Ernie and I define a standard or a work standard, work procedure, SOPs, there's so many different variations. People don't have to use the word standard. Sometimes that, as Ernie said, it's a, a rigid, oh gosh, you know, that's a terrible word, but it's just an expectation of, hey, it's the best known method at this moment that we have consensus mm-hmm. to follow until we improve. So to me, that lessens the blow to say, hey, We've all had the opportunity to, to agree and have consensus, so we're on board. So that's part of respect for people to get their ideas for the, the work standard. And then, okay, we're going to follow this because it allows us to quickly see abnormality. It allows us to have the benchmark for improvement, as Ernie said. There's so many companies that don't totally understand continuous improvement as as what it is or what do you need to do it. And so if you don't have a standard, it goes back to Taichi Ono, you know, his simple words would be no standard, no Kazan, Mm -hmm. which in, in, in our regular words would say, if you don't have a standard, it's impossible to truly measure continuous improvement. So I think when you go back to the DNA question, one, the discipline to set it, two, the accountability to say I'm going to follow it and to respect the person enough to give them the reason and the purpose why it's important. You know, if we sell, tell and convince people to do things on a daily basis, it's going to be a very you know difficult uh, process to get people to understand. If I engage, involve and empower them in creating this standard together. It's a much more, you got a higher percentage of this teamwork and this respect for people uh, thinking this, this cultural thing we're trying to create. And, and, you know, it's, it's their idea. It's not mine. It's not me telling it. And I think that was the powerful piece with our culture that we knew the standard was probably going to change through people having ideas to make it better. And that was part of that J-O-B expectation. We wanted it to. We wanted to encourage that. But we also had to train to it, make sure we understand, stabilize it, sustain it, then get it ready for improvement. So I think culturally, that was a big difference for us and why we kind of created that, that DNA at a micro level of this because a lot of companies, you know, it's, it's kind of like saying, Hey, we have the speed limit sign out there on the roadways and we know it because it's actually a law. It's probably beyond the standard, but we choose to follow it or not, you know, but if a cop's sitting there, uh, you know, policing the road, what do we do by natural response? We hit the gas. So it's like, we know, and understand now what's the DNA inside our culture, you know, like neighborhoods, we all tend to drive slower because, you know, there's a reason children and people walking, you know, there's, there's a reason why seatbelts are the same way, you know? So how do we get the buy-in and the why and the, the purpose behind it when that's absorbed and understood 
people will work for you all day if you take the time and invest in that. I truly believe that because they did with us. I lived and breathed that. And we did, you know, for other people, we see that happen as well. And so, you know, you talk about the the sort of intertwining concepts of, of, of standards, standardized work, Kaizen, continuous improvement. Um, yeah, you know, those, those words, you know, discipline, discipline means having discipline, not, not, not being disciplined. Right. Exactly. It's like anything, go to the gym, you know, I'm, I'm going to be disciplined to go three times a week. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, so when you talk about the gym, you know, that, that that's very, uh, self-driven, discipline. I mean, what, what was the, you know, the process in the workplace? Did, did the word accountability come into play if somebody was, was not being disciplined in the way they went about doing something or how, how did that enter into it? Well, I don't think uh, not following uh, the standard was an option, any aspect of, you know, uh, the, because we want to have repeatable processes to be able to see gaps and so it, it wasn't an option for someone to say, well, I'm, I want to do it my way. You know, obviously, if it's a better way, we want them to be able to change the standard and, and constantly changing the standard is what we really reinforce. But the discipline part would come in place through uh, HR policies and procedures to be able to ensure that the person's performing it uh, in that correct way. And, and, you know, we always looked at it as how why is the person not following the standard first? And making sure the process is stable and, and not penalizing the person if the process is bad. And so we would look at the process and then, you know, work with the person to come up with the best solution. Uh, but not following standards, not an option. So I, I think, you know, I ask a follow up, you know, kind of from the perspective of people working in healthcare, you know, this idea that. Uh, you know, this all this all goes hand in hand. People in healthcare might say, "Well, our our people uh, have or feel like they have a lot of freedom to not follow the standard." And then sometimes people will say, "Well, wait a minute, there really isn't uh, a well defined standard yeah. either." Um, right. You know, so how how do you hold somebody accountable to a standard that's either not defined or, you know, a system that's not well-designed um, to, to allow people to be successful. I, I, I heard one of your uh, former uh, Toyota colleagues, Daryl Wilburn, talk about this at a, a conference saying, you know, it, that it was the obligation of leaders to create a system in which people could be successful. And, and, and that's, I think, not the, the kind of servant leadership mindset that, that we see in healthcare as, as the, as the default. So what, what, what are your similar thoughts you know, to, to, to people who, who may be experiencing a very different type of environment. Yeah. So, so I think, I think the, to start with the, the definition of standardization is very, um, very confusing for some folks. So I'll start with saying, you know, standards are put in place for processes that we need to have control. The outputs need to be controlled. And we put enough standardization in place to be able to control the output, but not so much standardization in place that it constricts the process mm-hmm. or keeps a person from being able to perform. Now, uh, the my experience in healthcare is, you know, when they when 
my and of course I'm I'm limited on the you know I worked in the clinics at Toyota and and with some local hospitals. Uh, but the first thing I would say is they're looking uh, the ones that I were involved with was looking at standardization as a roadblock. And what we had to kind of help them see is standardization is the foundation. So even even in processes where people have to make uh, split second decisions and split second uh, in different directions and what they may perform, we still want to have standardized work or standardization on how they try to make those decisions and what helps them make those decisions. So the misconception that you know that I saw in in these areas, and it's not in the healthcare. It's a it's a lot of areas uh, that are I, I will say a lot of areas non manufacturing is you know the ability to have creativity from the person uh-huh. and flexibility, and certainly standards standards make that more possible. That makes it more definable, and and the ability to be able to to develop some a gradual standardization and you want to standardize as much as we can, but not constrict the people from being able to perform their processes. So I would say that, uh, and Mark, you probably have better feel than I do on this, but I would say that, that all processes can have a standard. Uh, it's the ability, you know, in healthcare, do we need a standard for everything is, is the first question. And just from my limited experience in, in insurance and, and healthcare, I would say that the biggest, the bigger issue for me is people not being able to see what the outcome of standardization would do for them. Yeah. They see it as a roadblock and not seeing it as how, how it can be a springboard for improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, uh, you know, as an outsider, my, my study of, of Toyota and the Toyota books makes it, really clear that, um, you know, we, we, we shouldn't standardize for the sake of standardizing. It's about the, the purpose and the, the results and that, that, that we're going for. And then there's that level, uh, that degree of standardization where, you know, people in healthcare, um, you know, I try to be empathetic. Um, you know, people are, when they're pushing back against what they think lean, is they're they're kind of they're pushing back based on history you know doctors nurses others have for many decades had you know people telling them how to do their work and and you know these phrases of you know cookbook medicine and you know come up and 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 you're right they i think they're rightfully afraid of having standards that are too rigid but i think they've also been victim of of others pushing standards that are inappropriately rigid I, I totally agree with that, actually. And, and also my limited experience with the say is once once the healthcare providers see the purpose and understand the value, then they're actually huge advocates for mm-hmm. it and, and become a very big springboard for because they honestly healthcare uh, the the vision for healthcare is want to be the most effective and efficient process possible for the health of, of our, their patients. And so. They can do that using uh, uh, we call it st- standardization to be able to control the chaos somewhat. And so, but I think my experience would say that most uh, healthcare providers, once they get a understanding that, and it's not going to be so much standardization, it completely makes them feel like a robot. Right. That that now all of a sudden it becomes kind of the way they do business. 
Yeah, there, there's, um, you know, a couple of things that come to mind as we're talking and, and you, you've probably heard it. People say it all the time, the, the five who's and the root blame, you know, <laughs> the people fear sometimes that, you know, they're going to be blamed for something It's so rigid. I'm not going to be able to remember all that. Or maybe they haven't had, you know, the JIT or the TWI, you know, it's kind of like here, follow this. We, we kind of give them a, maybe a potentially broken process that we blame them for. They're the face of the process. And our trainers always grounded us around, you know, always look at the process before you look at the person. Mm -hmm. And are we giving them badly designed processes that are actually, uh, you know, failing? They actually will fail. And then the face of that is the person, you know, doing the work. So that that's another facet. I think that it's a paradigm shift in this this whole thing around uh, standardization and and. You know, if we look purely at what is the customer internally, externally need this process to produce, whether it's a patient, whether it's a a person buying a vehicle or any type of output, uh, material and information flow, whatever I'm producing, I want to try to do that in the most value added way. And, And there was an aspect within Toyota, we called it mental burden we actually factored in mental burden of how many decisions do they make within this transaction or within this process or within this, you know, window of time, you know, for us, we worked in minutes, but externally it could be a half hour, an hour. It could be any, any particular thing a person's doing. And if there were X amount of decisions being made, let's say it's over 10 decisions in a certain amount of time, then quality or this this process could have the ability to you know have a uh, a defect or a abnormality or a discrepancy and so when we involve people in asking the questions and this should be you know at the process at the gym but where the work's happening no matter what work it is we should ask you know what decisions are we making? What what's, you know, the material and information flow of the process? How are we, you know, how are we doing this and and X or whatever that might be? I don't want it to make it be about cars, but when we get in there and ask the questions, we realize, you know, wow, this there's a lot to this. And it does it need a standard? As Ernie said, standards are meant to control and to see abnormality and understand, you know, what's all involved. And sometimes we go in and we find things that don't need to be in there. So when you, when you can have that conversation at the Gimba, I believe, and, and involve the people that, Hey, it doesn't have to be this way. It's not this rigid thing and yeah. let's create it together. I think you have that, you get more buy-in and that starts slowly to create the culture of I'm here to help, not here to hinder. Yeah. Well, and kind of, you know, stepping back to the book and you know, as we, we wrap up here again, I'll encourage everyone to go check out the Toyota engagement equation, that, that equation, you know, which I'll, I'll leave for people to get um, out of the book, but you talked about uh, DNA, the D and A, what you're talking about there, Tracy, reminds me of the, uh, the part of the equation, the, uh, the E cubed, everybody, every day engaged that from my perspective seems to be sadly missing from a lot of uh, what healthcare organizations would call lean. They're not having conversations with people about their work. They're trying to tell them how to do their work. I, I, I personally, I, I get frustrated when I see, 
that sort of thing labeled lean. Yes. And, you know, it kind of, obviously it started, I think lean came from obviously the Toyota production system and, you know, what, how do we articulate that externally? And then I think um, from the, the EQ perspective, I think a trainer a few years later said, you know, it's not really about Toyota. It's the thinking production system, you know, kind of Gen 2 TPS that, you know, we're encouraging people to think, you know, we, we want it to be about how every day everybody is engaged in looking for abnormality from a standard to be able to have this continuous improvement. And Gen 3 TPS, which is in the, the latter part of the book, and we talk about it within the, the E-cubed, is instead of the thinking production system taking it away from production, it's really the essence of the thinking people system. And and so, you know, the, the everybody every day engaged, that was, I think, an important factor of our culture and an expectation that no matter what level, no matter what silo or functional area that you're in, we're all here from an order to customer perspective. And if there's waste, all it takes all of us in all of our functional areas. We're we're not a we and a they, we're an us. And if we're the thinking people system, which I call the three Gen 3 TPS, then it takes us all to think and understand and have that line of sight from my individual work how it, you know, contributes maybe to my department, how it contributes to the organization. And in some cases, a global perspective for some companies. And I think that was something that we really embraced internally and were taught from a very early, you know, stage mm-hmm. that it, it takes everybody. And, and, you know, me putting my initials on the inside of an instrument panel was my E-cube. You know, I, I had to look at that from the perspective. But knowing that on a million cars out there from the late 80s to the, the late 90s, my name is on it. And I deemed that good, you know, because <laughs> there was processes in place that I was following and understood the purpose of and felt like I was really part of something that I helped create this this beautiful you know, product or it could be service for people. So I think looking at it from the perspective of of thinking people system, um, it it really, you know, can change the way people think about this, this lean thing or however it's being coined today um, from just a, a bad thing to just let's think differently and let's all engage in that for the greater good of not we and they, but us as an organization. Yeah. Well, that's, um, I think we'll, that, that's a great point to, uh, to wrap things up on. So, um, Ernie and Tracy, where can people learn more about the book? If you want to give a website address for that, um, places they can find you on, uh, on social media, perhaps, or if, if you want to give your email address, if people have questions. Absolutely. Um, both of us are on LinkedIn, so you can ask to, to be a connection there. Both of us are, are on there. Uh, I'm the, the Twitter person, so it's Tracy underscore, underscore son, Tracy son on uh, Twitter. Try to be on there as much as possible. Uh, we started a, a website for the book just recently. It's the Toyota 
ee.com so the Toyota, the Toyota engagement equation and ee.com the Toyota ee and you can sign up for a mail list serve there on that and we try to share things um, you know on occasion we've got chapter 11 on there if people want to see a chapter before they purchase the book um, you know it, it's there to share. And, um, you know, Amazon, uh, there's been some great feedback on, on Amazon as well with the book. So people mm-hmm. can see what other people are, are reading. And then our emails are on the website, uh, the Toyota EE. So you can find us out there socially. We're, we're out and about when we're, when we're not on the road, we're, we're kind of chatting on the internet with you and others out there yeah. in, in the lean world. Yeah. Well, Thank you for for doing all that, and and thank you for uh, a book that I think is uh, a very uh, welcome and enjoyable addition to the lean literature. Um, I really appreciate it, and um, want to thank uh, both of you. Our guests again today have been Tracy and Ernie Richardson. Thank you uh, so much for spending some time with uh, with us today. Thanks. Thank you, Mark. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.